0: One of the most important roles in Welsh Rugby and we'll hear about it at length in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. John Alder is the newish WIU Head of Player Development for both the men's and women's games, ensuring that the conveyor belt of talent runs properly not just a fly-half factory in West Wales, but something for every position. It's a crucial job and a wide range of challenges to talk about at length, near the National Centre of Excellence in the Vale of Lemorgan. Well, to start off with a bit about you and your background, John, just explain. It's quite a lengthy journey around the world to be here with the Welsh Rugby Union. Just explain what that journey's been.
1: Yeah, um, so I suppose at uh, my core, at my roots, um, I'm a rugby boy, grew up in Gloucester. I uh, actually had a, an uncle who played uh, a lot for the club in the 70s, so I was brought up on the tales of midweek games against Pontypool and you know, the Viet Gwent front row, and, um, and in many ways I could probably name the, the Welsh side of the 70s better than I could have named the English side as I was growing up. So I was brought up on those tales. So, yeah, played through age grade stuff in England, and um, injury cut that uh, ambition short, but was really interested in how we teach the game, how we coach the game, and went into teaching as a stepping stone. Really fell in love with coaching rugby and, and the arts and science of it. So I went down a bit more of an educational route into university sector and taught there, taught coaching in New Zealand of all places, and then moved into high-performance management at New Zealand Rugby League.
0: Was that a natural move, to move from academia into the world of sport
1: yeah not that common I suppose people t- might go the other way or they tend to stay in their lane but I always saw myself as a practitioner at heart a coach and that meant whatever I did academic wise I wanted it to be grounded in real world and real world sport real world practice so yeah made that transition into um, sport management at um, New Zealand Rugby League and was able to do my PhD alongside that in, in leadership and culture change which um, was definitely a, and continues to be a passion area for me I kind of think You know, leadership and culture are two sides of the same coin, and the environments that we create are set by the leaders and leadership. Uh, And as part of that role, I had quite a broad remit, being a small governing body, which had a responsibility for the pathway and the the long-term player development journey, and the relationships with our players based in the NRL clubs, uh, which was never clear and simple, given that it was a big body of water that separated New Zealand and Australia, and then worked with the national side as their sports scientist and and analyst. So had a pretty broad um, exposure to the full pathway. Returned home uh, and worked at the English Institute of Sport in their Pathways team, which was responsible for working with all of the funded Olympic and Paralympic sports around how they develop their pathways across the spectrum from strategy right down to identifying and recruiting athletes. And ran that team for five years, very privileged to do that, and worked with some great people across uh, what I think at one point was 50-odd sports. And most recently went to the uh, Tokyo Olympic Games with Team GB to run a training centre there. So once again, mirroring my experiences in New Zealand with Rugby League, the privileged viewpoint to see from the day an athlete is identified right through to the final training session before they take the world's biggest stage at the Olympics. And from the real front line to the back office where investment decisions are made around which sports should get money, which sports don't, and to, to what extent. So a really privileged and quite a diverse set of experiences to see the sports world from different seats. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that. And hopefully it's equipped me with something that can be useful to Welsh Rugby Union moving forward. And yeah, to bring that story full circle, joined the union in April this year in a new role, Head of Player Development, which I'm super excited. And I feel like I've come home, not only just to rugby, but my old coach when I was at Gloucester, everybody would know Sean Holly, always said to me, Gloucester's like an extension of Wales. So I feel a lot of synergy with The people here, the game here, how people see the game, both how it should be played and how it could be played, but also the passion and care for the health of the game and the players playing it.
0: How much is the development of talent a universal theme across the 50 sports you mentioned, the Rugby League, Rugby Union?
1: I guess that's the, the key. That's a great question. The future of any success on the world stage will be built on the ability to engage young people in the sport, give them opportunities that allow them to foster their potential and develop, allow them to put their hands up and go, yeah, this is for me, but also give them the experiences that will stretch them. The future success is all hinged on that. So I think everybody's in the talent development game. I always say development's everyone's business, whether you're um, polishing the diamonds, I suppose, at the very final stages, or whether you're creating the conditions for diamonds to form, which is a lengthier process, and it's complex and challenging and has lots of multiple parts to it. But we're all in the talent game, I suppose, and future success will be dependent on our ability to identify, develop and transition talent so that they're always getting the experiences they need at the right time to stretch them and allow them to grow, be tested and and hopefully develop those robust skills that will allow people to thrive on the world stage at the highest level of competition. And I'd say, yeah, that's pretty universal across sports, although it looks slightly different in different sports and some are easier to measure, some are easier to sort of reduce down to one or two variables and others, and i put any invasion game quite biasly rugby at the most extreme end the complex invasion games are far less easy to reduce down to simple things to measure and not all the things that can be measured matter and not all the things that matter can be measured but yeah pretty universal across the sports everybody's interested in it.
0: So in a funny sort of way are the lessons that can be learned from the development of a Paralympian swimmer that can apply to the development of a front row forward?
1: Ooh, if I was to draw the Paralympic connection by virtue of the disability sports being far newer to the performance world, far more recently supported financially and with coaching and all the science staff around it, and a much smaller talent pool by virtue of the volume of people who would be classifiable for different Paralympic sports. The pathway journey was quite short, or it remains to be quite short. There would be examples of Paralympians where the first time they would Um, compete in the sport in a formal sense would be a European Championships. If I was to draw parallels where that might be useful learning into my role now in our game I'd actually say possibly the women's pathway. So there's some similarities whereby girls may progress through the performance pathway as it stands into national recognition perhaps quicker and we may expect greater things in a shorter time and it was a, a conversation I was part of as well I was leaving UK Sport and and the English Institute. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. You know, not unusual, again, for um, some women to be introduced to rugby at um, university. And within two or three years, they're playing the highest level of club rugby. And um, that's something we need to better understand and um, ask the question, well, is it right? If it is, how do we best support those players to chart that course, that journey? In terms of positions, um, people develop at different rates. I think that's the biggest challenge that faces anyone trying to spot talent or identify potential, particularly when people are young. 16 year olds that walk through the door, they're not all the same. And some are physically more mature, some are emotionally and cognitively more mature. Some have just played the game for longer. Some have played lots of other sports before coming to rugby. And that just paints a really complex picture to make a judgment as to who's got it, who could make it, who who hasn't, and who can't. So we just have to be really careful with that. That's consistent across all the sports, the, the challenge of performance now or potential later and how you reconcile that. And I think one other challenge I've, across all of my experiences, wrestled with is um, the balance between short-term and long-term goals. People develop at different rates. What's the goal of any player development pathway? Is it to produce players for Wales or for regional rugby, senior professionals, or is it to win today? And how we reconcile that. I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, it's one or the other. We would never want any player to not go into playing wanting a win. You know, and learning to win and the experience of being competitive. However, there is a risk if you overvalue winning it. It's certain parts of the journey, what are the unintended
0: consequences of that? So I think that balance between short and long-term goals. What were you told about this area of rugby and this role before coming to join the WIU? What were your expectations in terms of the level of control you might have?
1: Well, Control is an interesting word, and it's definitely never been part of my um, leadership philosophy, firm believer of the famous African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone, you want to go far, go together. And I would see tremendous similarities in lots of ways between my experiences in New Zealand and here, both population size and elements of geographical spread, the role of rugby culturally in the nation's eye and identity, but also the emphasis on community, the communities in rugby being clubs and and the role they, they play. So never approach any complex problem with the position of it being my role to control things. My role has a remit across men and women's game. Both games need different things at this point in time from my perspective and from conversations with people. I think the women's games is a really exciting time where we're in a position to start defining what the landscape could look like and what young girls need, you know, whether that's in terms of access, support, coaching, competitive environments, the logical stepping stones to representing Wales as the long-term ambition. There's been some brilliant work done by our community department establishing the networks that would ultimately feed the performance pathway. What there is is probably just a bit of a gap in the pathway itself between regionally delivered um, skill centres and hubs and our national teams. So very excited that there's a Wales women's under 20s likely to be launched next year, aligned to a new competition led by Six Nations. We've got a couple of other initiatives that we're scoping out at the moment to begin to bridge the gap between the skill centres and the Women's Premiership is the premier um, club environment for our most high-potential women and the national programme, which is now full-time and contracted for the the men's game. And not just a a clever rhyme, but uh, it's probably about refining. Long tale of history that's led to where we are today, both the professional history, but also the long, long long-standing history and heritage of rugby and clubs in Wales. What's led us to where we are. So it's a case of how do we refine and optimise the environments that players find themselves in wherever that be, whether that's in a regional academy, whether that is um, playing their their rugby at a premiership club, whether that's in our national age group programmes, how do we optimise those environments so that they give the players the experiences that they need so that they are best equipped to progress and thrive as professional players and hopefully, for the lucky few, thrive on the world stage for Wales. There are things, I suppose, actually question about control, things that were more directly in our internal control from a union perspective, the programmes that we run, question that I'm working with our internal pathway staff on, you know, how do we make the 40 days a year that we're with our under 18s boys, the best 40 days that we can possibly make them developmentally appropriate, of course, but um, and the same for our 20s and then the women's programmes too. And then building partnerships and relationships with Key providers, those that are providing the daily training environments for our best players. The question I'm probably boring people with is how can I help? If you could solve some problems tomorrow, what would they be? And I'm trying to build that picture of where we are and therefore where we can move to. Um, but doing that together, built collaboratively by all the stakeholders, as national schools and colleges, which play a really key part in the development pathway, key environment. There's the well established Jewish Shield competition, which plays a key part in our development environment. So lots of key groups of people who are very well placed to provide these development experiences our players need.
0: So we'll do that in the order that you did it and start off with the women's game which as you say is more within the remit of the the WIU, newly professionalised. There's a World Cup coming up but you'll be looking at the next World Cup in your role. What are the key challenges in the women's game? People are particularly looking at bridging that gap between development and Mm. international level which at the moment involves the English clubs Mm. which may be a good thing maybe something to Mm. use as part of the mix where do you stand on all that Mm.
1: good question and still some really key groups of, of vested stakeholders that i think can play an invaluable role in the women's game obviously schools and colleges seven team strong national premiership of which girls are getting competitive experiences on a weekend naturally as you say there are a high proportion of our most talented girls playing their club rugby in england it's the premier club competition in the world as it stands so that's not a bad place to be getting your regular rugby if they are playing regularly I'm mindful there's some girls who are sort of spending time on the bench etc but um, until we wrestle with the question well what do we build here that might offer something either similar or comparable perhaps and whether that's training environments that they can access whereby they still play their rugby either at a premiership club in in Wales or an Alliance club in England Building those partnerships with those clubs whilst those players are still there is essential. And we're nearly 12 months down the road from launching the, the full-time programme, so I think there'll be, no, no doubt, lots of learnings for Johan and his team. No doubt that'll come out in the wash-up after the World Cup. But I think there's definitely something we need to look at domestically, and whether it's parallel comparator or whether it's a stepping stone, whereby girls are getting other forms of support as well as competitive exposure.
0: And are you noticing know, a difference in terms of the enthusiasm to become part of a pathway now that pathway ends at professional level which it didn't do before
1: we ran a talent ID where so we um, was expertly led by Lisa Burgess our um, lead pathway coach talent ID weekend which invited girls between the ages of I think 17 and 20 and when Lisa sort of positioned the day as you know this is the potential aspiration ambition goal for you they all seemed very motivated by the thought well actually I could earn a living playing rugby Lots are still really interested in their education and their potential career too. Girls are excited, but still mindful that um, there's a balance to be struck. Uh, and hopefully, it's a signal to everybody that you know we're taking the women's game seriously and we care about it. And certainly, my director Nigel Walker is incredibly passionate about creating opportunities for our most ambitious and high potential young women, seeing where we can go on this big adventure.
0: Listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. So, moving on to the men, there's a whole range of issues in that 18 to 23 bracket in particular. The age grades is that, as you say, the best environment? How much they play age grade? How much they play clubs? How much they play academies? How much they play schools? Are they better off in training blocks or playing every week? What happens to them at 20 when they leave the 20s? I mean, I don't, I don't quite know where to start, but shall we go through it sort of chronologically? And there's always a, a bit of a debate about the academy system that clearly needs something, but is that the right way?
1: I mean, certainly the principle of creating high-quality training environments whereby players get the coaching and the wider support. And I do think from our, our game's point of view, the demands of our game, physical development is key, you know, and how that's attended to and sensibly taught and sensibly introduced and progressively built on rather than um, just get them in the gym etc and I have no um, reason to doubt that that's not being sensibly introduced in our regional academies at all but um, I think that's really really important other facets of of a young person's development off the field too so having the environments whereby players can come together and train together with other people who've committed to the journey put their hand up and gone this is for me I want to be a professional rugby player. I want to be the best I can be. And equally of comparable potential and, and talent. Whether the current exact working models are as they should be is kind of we're working through with the regions and exploring that. I've seen some great practice so far and I've seen some people who really care about providing opportunities to the players they're working with. And no illusion that there's lots of other environments that play a key part in their journey too. It's not just what happens at the regional academy. They are often in schools and colleges and getting support there. They are often playing in premiership clubs on a Saturday. And one thing's for certain, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, you you don't get good at playing rugby without playing rugby. So therefore, young men and women need to play. It's not as blunt as just saying, thrash them and they need to play every weekend, 80 minutes. But a sensible playing programme is really important. And key developmental windows, long periods of time where you're not getting competitive exposure is equally as bad as being overplayed. Think of it like the Goldilocks effect, not too much, not too little, just right. Finding those avenues for the appropriate competitive hit-out, again, using the age group that you drew on there, 18 to 23. For some, they're attached to universities playing Bucks Super Rugby, which is a really impressive level of student rugby now, supported by some good coaches, well-resourced programmes who want to do a good job. And If I looked at um, Rhys Barrett, uh, Proppett, Cardiff, Last year, I won't have the numbers right, but I think he played about 28 games. And that was a blend of Premiership for Cardiff and uh, University Rugby, National Age Group, 20s Rugby. And if his performances in the Summer Series were anything to go by, it looks like he's had a really fruitful developmental playing programme over the last 12 months, which um, he would have no doubt got different things, different learning from those different environments. The sort of golden task is to try and do that with every player Uh, Our national age group coaches are working closely with the regional staff to have those conversations around playing programmes. The level below our regional rugby, and if players are to be regional ready, they've got to have amassed the experiences that mean they are regional ready, can step into an environment and cope with the rigours of full training weeks and the competition on a weekend. For me, the stepping stone for that is currently uh, the highest level of club rugby in Wales, which is the premiership. The great blend of some experienced players who've been around that are quite battle-hardened, you know, it's a great learning environment for um, young up-and-coming players over and above more age group rugby, or even perhaps a team rugby, playing in different places and on different tracks and working with different coaches. There is a rich environment um, to plug that gap. I'm not saying we've got it perfect, but we're committed to ensuring that our most high-potential players have the access to the competition that they need, and we see the premiership playing
0: that role. I mean, if you go back in history, you get the famous examples of players who'd uh, play for their school in the morning, their club in the afternoon, might be playing football on the Sunday or a lot of sport too much. <clears throat> it was very different during COVID where clearly there weren't the games to play. But have we seen at the under-20s level over the last couple of years the damaging effect of simply not playing enough rugby, just not getting those learning experiences out on the field almost at any level? It's a question I've been asked
1: a few times and I suppose to answer honestly, I don't know. And perhaps it'll be a few years before we start to really be able to draw some significant conclusions as to what has the effect been of COVID. And I suppose there's the direct effect on players who were in the upper end of the pathway who just had that period of time without playing. For some, it may have created space for them to do development that they wouldn't have otherwise done had they've just been on a treadmill of playing. Um, Then you've got players who are on the cusp of the performance pathway who missed out on a critical window. You've then got the sort of concerns that I know the the community game are trying to look into the effect on retention in the game. The bigger the base of the pyramid, the bigger the peak of the triangle. There's those multiple questions to explore COVID-wise. In terms of our my experiences with our under-20s this summer, virtually all of them were just absolutely stoked to be playing again. We know, almost be like put behind them the, the challenges of the previous couple of years. Back to your point around um, player availability and amount of games to play. Earlier in the pathway, I would suggest that's probably a, a bigger concern And it almost flips itself when players get to sort of 18, 19, where they might be hungry to play, but there's not enough playing opportunities. It's sort of under 15, so I understand there could be as many as seven shirts a player could pull on in a season. If you're a high potential player or you're certainly performing at that age and stage, you're in demand. There's almost two challenges. There's getting the optimal amount of playing exposure for our um, 18 to 23 year olds. And there's probably looking at how do we limit playing exposure at the younger ages, although I appreciate that there'll be some people who have pretty firm views on, well, you know, the more rugby, the better. Sort of 10,000 hours idea, you only get good by doing something regularly. I talk about pathways, not pathway, there's multiple routes and there should be multiple entry points, uh, multiple exit points and re-entry points. Uh, An example of that, I suppose, would be Ben Williams this summer, who had had involvement with the regions at one of their younger age groups. As I understand, sort of, actually said, said, it's not, not necessary for me, Covid hit. I think he was um, carpentry apprenticeship, I believe, and um, decided actually um, I want to have a go at this, and um, came in through Championship rugby and um, selected for Wales 20s, having not gone through what we might deem a traditional regional academy route. So I think we need to be bold enough to be open to multiple entry points that cater for someone from football at 16, as one example perhaps. Perhaps linking back to the women's game, I think I'm really interested in exploring with Lisa and the, the women's pathway the role of talent transfer. In the women's game. What sports might be useful, donors? what we call donor sports, whether that's football, boxing, judo, probably some characteristics of those sports, that if you're quite talented at those, or high potential, then you might have an increased likelihood of the transfer to rugby being successful. So definitely interested in exploring that.
0: Going back to the 20s, the summer series, probably one of the reasons for the success would have been a, a second row of Christ Junzer and David Jenkins, who I know Christ was injured during the Six Nations period, but obviously not available to Wales in that Six Nations period. You're going to have more control over the regional players than at English clubs, but to some extent it had grown up that they're better off playing regional rugby at that age if they can, even if it's 20 minutes off the bench, rather than being key players learning to lead at under-20s level. Where does that debate go over the next few years, do you think?
1: If we work from a position of partnership and we want to go Fargo together, having those regular conversations and peer-to-peer discussions about what's right for a player and probably having a few tasty debates, really identifying what would a player learn from a particular experience and which experience is most important right now. Uh, and definitely, I mean, I um, only met Daph and Chris for the first time at the um, Summer Series and outstanding young men who were leaders in their environment and had gone from your precocious talent at Exeter, who um, sort of putting their hand up and wanting to get amongst it, to being leaders amongst their peers. And I think that just is a good indicator of what the Twenties experience can teach players if they're at a different part of their journey. And yeah, it would require peer-to-peer conversations around what's right for a player uh, at any given time. And as you say, the partnership working that we would have with our regions is far more established and far more perhaps regular and embedded than it would be with English Premiership counterparts but as it stands um, we're in a bit of a mixed economy and there are players doing their rugby apprenticeships across the bridge and therefore we do need to have some good partnerships with those Premiership clubs as to you know what the players are working on what are they seeing are they seeing what we're seeing how can we help and add value from a, a national program perspective and if they just want us to get out of the way then we would obviously oblige uh, and I would say I've reached out to a couple of premiership clubs where we've got players and they've generally accepted us with open arms and gone bearing gifts with feedback from what we've seen when we've been away with the players what they've done and uh, they've been grateful for that feedback and, and I know the devil being in the detail it's all good until there's a crunch decision and there's two sides of an argument and I haven't got there yet but it's encouraging and I think we just have to keep trying and, and going forward and bearing gifts and because, yeah, players are continuing to be playing their, their rugby trade and their apprenticeships over there. So it would be foolish of us to go out of sight, out of mind, push forward with developing those partnerships. But, should be said, our primary relationship and brothers-in-arms are the regions. Well, I've certainly had brilliant interactions with the regions so far and um, everybody's just got this burning desire to do things as well as we can and create the best experiences for the players. And therefore, yeah, there's been a couple of good debates. We've got to uh, what I deem really sensible position on all of those things so yeah been really really welcoming both us and um, the Regency the role of being a 20s player plays in a player's journey what they can learn from that and what the value added is added from that and equally you know there are players who've been playing URC this season and were therefore not in scope for some of the 20s selection or even 7s selection because that was deemed right for them their journey at this point in time.
0: 20 to 23 maybe even 20 to 25, is generally recognised as the area where the superstars start playing, their development's assured. But if you really want those 25 to 30-year-olds to have a strong grounding, as they do, say, in New Zealand South Africa, they need to be playing, and they need to be playing at a decent level, and that's the problem.
1: It's the age-old challenge throughout the playing journey, and I sort of talked about no player arrives at the start line um, identical to the person next to them when they're 15, 16. And the challenge for a coach then is this one particular player is the biggest on the pitch. And every time we give him the ball, he scores. And it will help us win games. However, the person to the right probably will have a longer career in the game. So who do I support in their development and what's important right now? Now, I recognise the winning now, discussion changes as a player goes through, you know, and when you're a regional rugby level, then um, uh, the importance of winning games week in, week out is absolute priority. The challenge you balance that with is obviously we're interested in developing players for Wales uh, and how do you yeah, juggle that challenge and what would help give the, the four regions the best chance of a, of a successful outing on a weekend versus beginning to blood, develop, give opportunity to the high potential players for a future Welsh team. So it is the million dollar question for sure. Dialogue between certainly Wayne and his team around those players that would be graduated the pathway, so to speak and counterparts in the regions uh, will be paramount to sort of working through that dynamic. It's not easy, and I, I certainly haven't been in, in any of those discussions, but we're certainly in a, a good place, although it's never perfect, with proactive conversations for 18- to 22-year-olds, which is kind of, um, you know, I think about the pathway having sort of three key purposes. It's to um, provide the experiences that enable a handful of lucky, high-potential players to go on and thrive on the world stage for Wales, uh, for a large proportion of them to um, prepare players to become professional players of value, both domestically and internationally, and the third one being for all of them to finish their time in the player pathway as um, confident and capable leaders in their communities and, and citizens of Wales. Once they are regional rugby players, I suppose the challenge then, are they playing enough? Um, probably other people who would have a stronger view and a clearer picture of how you walk the tightrope between uh, yeah, region winning on Saturday and ensuring the high potential players are getting enough game time, particularly if you look at their counterparts in France, in Ireland, perhaps in England, other places, uh, and the volume of senior first-class rugby they're playing. It's still early days, I suppose, for my journey, uh, and I'm, what I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, the season starts, which is kind of brilliant, because I kind of I came in at the back end of the season. Other than the summer internationals, there I hasn't I haven't been a lot of rugby on, so I'm really, really excited about getting out, watching premiership, schools and colleges when the regional age group programme starts up uh, and some regional rugby where I can. So I'm, I'm, some, I'm very keen to support Wayne and his team and uh, where I can, if I
0: can. Everyone wish you the very best in such an important role. Have you got any idea what success looks like in five to eight years' time in both the men's and the women's games? When you're sitting at a, at a World Cup or at the Principality Stadium or Cardiff of Arms Park watching players you follow through, have you got something in your head that you're looking for?
1: the challenge of working in development that we don't necessarily see the impact of our decisions the things we prioritize on a, on the next saturday as you might see more at the performance end you know it's it's a longer term game and you're right to sort of signal what would we see in four to possibly eight years time from a women's perspective shorter term i definitely like to see some infrastructure in place so that more girls of high potential are getting access to the coaching coaches support that they need getting regular high quality competition whatever the solution looks like but something domestically where they're getting higher quality competition and as a result by proxy we might see more girls staying in Wales but that wouldn't stop people pursuing the best opportunities they can uh, if Alliance remains as strong as it does but we'd certainly have a higher quality quantity of players playing week in week out in multiple high quality environments would have closed some gaps on particular areas which we recognised as big rocks to move Physical development in the women's game being one of them. Key thing I'd be hoping to see, and maybe not as long as eight, maybe shorter than that, but a pathway that is genuinely orientated to meet the needs of female athletes as well. Um, there's some growing research in the area of female athletes, female athlete health, and the, the unique needs that come with that. So I would, I would hope that we would see a, a pathway that is catered and organised to meet those needs. From a men's perspective, uh, again, the you view would always be a higher quality and quantity of players, whereby there's a greater depth across positions. And as a result, we would have closed some gaps on particular skills and particular big rocks in the men's game as well. The regional academies would have a reputation for quality of experiences, both domestically and internationally. People would talk about and, and what players get from being part of Cardiff, Dragons, Scarlets and, and Ospreys. Uh, and I'd hope, bottom line, the players reflect back on their experiences with a real fondness and also a clear value added for those that don't go on to play professionally. There's still a large proportion of players who would enter a, a playing pathway, common across sports is by virtue of there's only 15 shirts you can pull on, on a, you know, in the autumn series, but players are feeling better off for having taken the road down the, the Welsh player pathway. So there's probably a few different outcomes there that um, I would hope to see. And uh, eight, Eight's probably a bit far, I'm a bit more ambitious than that, maybe for or we at least start to see the dial shifting.
0: Good luck with it. Important role. Wish you the best. Diochenvar. Some really interesting details there, and it may take a while to see the results, but that really is an important role for the future. Plenty more on the Welsh Rugby Union podcast next week, but until then, goodbye.